0: Thank you for listening to this new episode of the podcast By the Still Water. It is our hope that these messages help in your search for the God of Heaven. Thank you for listening. Did you know it's possible to bake a cake over an open fire? If you visit Glacier National Park in Montana, there are many amazing sights and activities you can enjoy. One of those activities is being able to take a wilderness cooking class. In recent years, there has been a growing interest in old recipes and old cooking methods. Many people have returned to using simple ingredients and moving away from prepackaged and processed foods. Some have also tried to recreate cooking techniques that have long been abandoned because of modern stoves and ovens. There is a great care taken to finding ingredients similar to what was used years ago. Ingredients that do not have the added chemicals or preservatives. There is also care given to using similar techniques of mixing, measuring, and handling the ingredients. The idea is to rediscover a more organic or pure process. But searing a steak or cooking a stew over a fire is fairly simple. Baking over a fire is much more difficult. To bake a cake over a fire is quite possible and was common years ago. But the key is having the right cooking pot, also known as a Dutch oven, and knowing how to use it. When people first try to cook this way, though, two things often happen. The dough is raw, or they burn the sugar in the cake. Because one of the key elements in baking is temperature control, something that is very difficult to do over a campfire. To be successful means not only paying close attention to the fire and how high the pan is above the coals, but a lot of practice being able to get it right. One of the pivotal books in the Bible is the second book written by Luke. It is called The Acts of the Apostles, but most times it is referred to simply as the Book of Acts. It is the history of the early believers, what was taught, how they acted, both successes and failures, and how those in the communities reacted. Keep in mind that Luke is writing an investigation of these events and spoke to the people involved. Later, he records events that he witnessed personally because he was traveling with Paul. He uses the pronoun we through most of the second half of the book. As mentioned in earlier podcasts, this is good history. The geography is accurate. He uses nautical terms during the sea voyages. The politics and historical figures are in the correct places and in the right time frames. Even the weather and ocean current patterns Luke mentions are accurate. But the most important elements of Luke's account are about the believers. He records the first believer killed because of their faith, a man named Stephen. He records some issues among the believers that were caused by social problems, such as when the widows were being neglected for a while in Jerusalem. He tells the good and the bad, the successes and failures, the struggles and how they were overcome. But one focus of the book is how people became believers. This is important for a number of reasons. They are examples of how the gospel worked in the lives of those that were the first Christians. They also give us insight into what was said about becoming a believer and what that looked like. Let's consider one of these examples. The city of Philippi is well known for its history in the Roman Empire and its place in the early history of Christianity. One of the things that is mentioned by Luke is that Philippi was a Roman colony. The city had surrendered to the Romans years before and had been granted the status of a colony. This meant that the children born there were considered Roman citizens. This is also something that is recorded in the secular histories. Just outside the city, The Roman politician named Brutus, one of the men that was responsible for the murder of Julius Caesar, was defeated in battle and later killed himself to prevent him from being captured. Mark Antony was also at that battle, the Mark Antony that later was associated with Cleopatra. So the events that Luke records took place in a very well-known location and would have been easy for someone to investigate. So, Luke records that Paul traveled to the city of Philippi and learned that there was a regular meeting place near the river where Jewish women went to pray and to talk about God. There, Paul spoke to them about Jesus. Listening to Paul was a woman named Lydia. But picture the scene for a moment. These are people interested in spiritual things. They are knowledgeable and devoted. Paul speaks to them about Jesus and what he taught. This is the pattern we were talking about in the last podcast. The message of the gospel is taught, and then they have a choice on how to react. Remember that sometime later, when Paul wrote his letter to the believers in Rome, he would say, faith comes from hearing the message of Christ. This is the example of that happening. The description or commentary of Paul helps us to understand what he means by teaching the word of Christ and having that connection to our faith. But that is not the only connection. The apostles of Jesus had a mission. He told them to go and make disciples. The Gospel of Mark records the words of Jesus when he told them that those that believe and were baptized would be saved. This is an order or command of Jesus regarding those that would be saved. In some ways, this is like learning to cook our ancient recipe. If you want a similar product, you need to use the same ingredients, the same techniques, and learn to do it right. Let's return back to the riverbank just outside of Philippi. We can look at the events there through the lens of three different descriptions. One is the command of Jesus that the message of hope be taught to the people and that some would become believers. The second is the example of what was going on there on that riverbank. The third is the commentary of Paul about the process of becoming a disciple. Three concepts, command, example, commentary, helps us understand what it means to become a believer. Lydia is the fulfillment of the command of Jesus. She is also an example of that command being carried out. And Paul, looking back, was commenting on it. But what about the other side of the process? Lydia is an interesting case to consider. She was a part of a group that was searching for a relationship with God. Let's look at another example like that. The Romans kept the area of Judea garrisoned. In other words, there were Roman troops stationed in the area around Jerusalem, but they were headquartered in a coastal town called Caesarea. One of the Roman officers there was named Cornelius. He was a man that was described as doing good and praying, and seeking an understanding of God. He was described as a good man. But there was more that was needed to be done. We know that because an angel appeared to him and told him where to find a man named Peter, and that Peter would tell Cornelius what he needed to know and what he needed to do. But why do these things matter? Like the earlier discussion of food, some people have grown weary or even wary of modern chemicals that have been added to foods, or how modern food is processed. They have decided that pure and simple is the way they need to go in terms of the things they put in their body. The same could be said for many ideas in modern religion and religious practice. There are elements we can see in modern worship, focus, and practice that were not present when Paul met Lydia by that river outside of Philippi. Some have grown weary of politics, Hollywood type productions, or vast corporate structures and their worship or their search for God. But is there a better way? It is a valid question to ask why do we need to add things to the message of Jesus? Can we simply be simply Christians in the way Lydia, Cornelius, and Timothy were? What that would require. Is an understanding of what was commanded, what was practiced, and what was discussed by the apostles regarding the gospel of Jesus. It would also take a commitment to using the commands, examples, and insights given to us by the New Testament writers about the early believers. This is not really a new concept or new idea. The apostle Paul also addressed this idea when he talked about those that would change or create a different gospel of Jesus. Even in those early years, some were trying to change elements of the message that they had been taught by Peter and Paul and the other apostles. This was not a minor concern that Paul warns in his letter to the Galatians that changing elements of the gospel would lead to being accursed. So, it is possible to return to what might be described as organic Christianity. The instructions, examples, and descriptions are still there in the Bible. What is needed is a commitment to join with those early believers like Lydia on the riverbank and listen to the simple and personal message of the gospel. It is like waking up among the majestic mountains of Glacier National Park on a chilly morning and watching someone prepare a simple breakfast over the fire. No noise other than the mountain stream nearby. No flashing lights, only the morning sun on the mountains. No politics or personal agendas to pollute the air. Just a simple, clean, and pure search for the God of heaven. I can almost see Lydia and her friends joining us there and saying, This is what we have been looking for. Breakfast, anyone? thank you for listening to this episode of by the still water it is our desire that these messages reflect the true word of god if you would like to reach us you can reach us by email at by the 2024 at gmail.com you can also find us on facebook at Buy the Stillwater Podcast. Please consider subscribing. This will alert you to new episodes when they are made available. Again, thank you for listening.